Well, good morning. I'm setting up here. I know that our team from Nashville, and actually we had a, I think, team from a few different places in the States that were here at the early part of the year. We so loved our time with you all at the early part of the year for the Freedom Equip. In fact, I still chat with different uh, team members of ours who really see that as a highlight and a launching point for our year. And we were able to carry that that freedom and identity equip message to different places uh, throughout the states as well as a few other international locations and just seeing seeing Jesus glorified in his body as sons and daughters are being awakened to their true identity in him and then as they're empowered to tear down the things that hinder them from living in the truth of that identity has been so powerful and we really just were blessed by our time with you all um, Uh, worshiping together, praying together, and seeking the heart of God together. And uh, this trip um, was was kind of a short-notice visit because I was en route to Germany, a short-notice trip for a different missions project that we're doing there. And of course, because I knew I was coming to Europe, I thought, man, I want to go and see our Liberty family again just be in the atmosphere, worship with them, and share the word. And so I was so thrilled. And eat some fish and chips. So... um, so thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. Greetings on behalf of my wife, Jenny, and our four children who are at home um, uh, in Nashville in, enjoying time without dad. So um, I just want to give glory to God before I open the word today. I know some, many of you guys heard my story, but I think of the scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, where, where the Bible says, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. How many of you know that in Christ you are not just a forgiven sinner, you've been made the righteousness of God. Your nature has been changed. You have a new heart. Now you have a heart that is bent not on disobedience, but you are bent on obeying the voice of the Father. You have a sin problem, not a sin nature. You have a new nature as the righteousness of God. I'm so thankful to the Lord because he rescued me as a young man. Um, I didn't grow up in the church. I grew up in poverty, um, the, the, the product of fatherly abandonment. My dad left my family when I was three years old. My oldest memories of him were of abuse and pain and, and addiction in the home. But in the grace of God, Jesus began to invade my family through the open door of my mom's heart when I was a young teenager, and she had an encounter with Jesus that radically transformed her. And in her new relationship with Jesus, she started receiving these dreams at night where God would speak to her. And I will never forget one morning as a young teenager, as I was getting ready for a homecoming American football game, the biggest football game of the year, my mom came to me one morning and she warned me not to play in the football game. And I said, Mom, you're crazy. What are you talking about? She said, well, I had a dream about you. Something bad is going to happen in the dream. Mom, you're crazy. Keep your dreams to yourself. I'm playing in the game, you know. Well, what I didn't know is that she went and picked up the phone and called all her friends from her new church. And she said, will you pray with me? God came to me in a dream last night, and he called me to pray that Adam would live and not die. And she called all her friends from church, and she mobilized prayer. And that evening, in the in in the football game, as I'm carrying out a play on the field, I collapse on the field. I begin vomiting, begin having seizures. 
My body's un- shaking uncontrollably. The last thing I remember was hearing sirens and I blacked out. I was rushed to the hospital where I underwent three and a half hours of emergency brain surgery because of a blood clot on my brain sustained in the game due to an American football injury. I literally should have died on the field just like the young man did the following year in my hometown with the same injury. But in the grace of God, my mom was forewarned in a dream the night before to pray that I would live and not die. My mom began a prayer meeting on the football field while I was convulsing with seizures. She began to drag uh, parents down on the field with her. How many of you know when a little Latina mama pulls you down on the football field and says, you're about to pray, you're about to pray in Jesus' name. It doesn't matter if you're Baptist or Buddhist or what religion you are, you're about to be praying in tongues and you're about to be making tongues up in Jesus' name. And I believe I'm here because of God's mercy and my mother's intercession. And I want to encourage you with that that, that testimony today, because I think that there are family members in this room who represent families who have yet to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus and yet to be made new creations in Christ. Or perhaps even moms and dads of prodigal sons and daughters. And I just want to call Liberty Fellowship today, and the title of my message in a moment here is Lift Up Your Eyes. I'm calling you to lift up your eyes this morning because I believe that God is always doing more than we can see with our natural eyes. And we need to see from spiritual eyes if we were to walk this journey of faith with God that we've been destined to walk. The Bible says, it is written from faith to faith, the righteous shall walk by faith. Father, would you open our eyes today as we open your word? We invite the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Come and speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. God is always doing more than we can discern in the natural. As you are a follower of Jesus, you can be certain of this, that God is always doing more than you can see with natural eyes. I remember years ago as I stepped into ministry, like as an intern working with youth in the state of California, I was leading a Bible study among a, a group of what we call in the States middle school or junior, junior high students, which in my opinion, that is a difficult age to minister to. You, know? you, have an, you need to have an anointing. And I had an anointing for a season to work with these junior high kids. And I was leading this home Bible study with a group of junior highers that did not want to follow God. None of them attended our church, but they all loved me. And so I had about a dozen of these young men, you know, just trying to open the word together. And I remember we gave a gospel message one evening in this home. And I was certain that, you know, everyone was going to come to Christ. Of course, no one says yes to Jesus. And it was, it was such an interesting moment where I was discouraged and disappointed. Of course, we were being hosted in a home that uh, was owned by parents who are not even believers in Jesus. In fact, these were like the party family parents. They were the family who put on parties for their high school kids that were like illegal parties, you know, and everyone in the school knew about it. They hosted our Bible study. What I didn't know was that while I was feeling like a failure preaching the gospel in the one room to all the junior high students, none of whom said yes to Christ, In the very next room, mom and dad were listening in to the gospel presentation. And when we gave a call to follow Jesus in their kitchen table, at their kitchen table, they got down on their knees 
And they begin to surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. Today they walk with God. In fact, when we launched our ministry in 2009, they were our first missions financial supporters because we led them to Christ by overhearing their son's Bible study in the following up. God is always doing more than we can see with our natural eyes. I think of my daughter Nina. We're going to open the word in a minute here. But my daughter Nina, she was four years old. I have four children now. At the time, I only had three children. We had three children, three and under at one point. You know, So it, it, isn't that a miracle? <laughs> you know, like, I'm still tired right now. You know? In fact, I'm not really totally awake right now. You know, Four kids. And so my daughter Nina was fighting with her younger sister. They're 17 months apart. Four and three years old. I think at one point Nina picked up a guitar and hit her sister over the head with it. A toy guitar. And they were fighting and it was really uncharacteristic moment of Nina where she lashes out with violence at her sister. And I had this moment in me rise up where I just wanted to kind of like, as a dad, lay the smack down, you know. And I wanted to interrupt the violence in the home. I was about to go Old Testament on my daughters, you know. And I felt the Holy Spirit check my heart in that moment. Like, Don't merely look with natural eyes at what is taking place. And as I sat down, I put Nina on my lap, and I said, Sweetheart, what's going on with you? Here's what she said. She said, Daddy, I want to do good to my sister, but she makes me so angry. She said, I want to do good like you're telling me, but there's something inside of me that makes me hate her. She says, even when she just looks at me, I just want to hit her in the face. <laughs> and I began to realize that what I was hearing was the conflict of every human heart that hears the voice of God, that is separate from Christ. The conflict of the human heart that says, I want to do good, but there's evil present and resident with me, like Paul said in Romans chapter 7. It occurred to me that my daughter was trying to follow the rules of our home, the rules of Christianity, if you will, but she was not yet empowered by the, whole, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Through rebirth, through being made new, being born again, she was not empowered with a new nature to live according to the path of Jesus. And I said, sweetheart, I've got good news for you. You can't do it on your own. And in that moment, I began to explain to her the way of the gospel, that Jesus took all of her badness and all of her violence on himself, and he crucified it when he died. And he rose from the grave, victory over sin and death. And I began to explain the good news to her. In that moment, she yielded her life to Jesus. She asked for the Holy Spirit to fill her. And she went to bed that evening, like in peace, with a kiss on the cheek. And she said, Daddy... I love you, and I love my sister too. This year I got to baptize her in water. I think about that moment because there was an opportunity for me to look with natural eyes that was immediately checked by a check in the, from the Holy Spirit that said, will you, will you please look with eyes of the Spirit? Will you look differently? Because God is always doing more than you can discern in the natural. And when that moment happened and my parenting adjusted, it happened to be the moment that God would cause my daughter to be born again. 
In John chapter 4, Jesus has this exchange with the woman of Samaria. And some of us remember that story where he's speaking with a woman at the well, this woman of, um, of an immoral background, and he gives her a word of knowledge by the Spirit when he says, go call your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're correct in saying you don't have one husband. You've had five husbands. And the man you live with right now, you're not even married to. She has this exchange where the prophetic anointing opens up the heart of this woman. And even though her sin was exposed, she was not shamed, nor was she condemned. And how many of you know only in the grace of God that can happen, where your sin is exposed, but you're not condemned. You're not ashamed, but you're invited into renewal and repentance and restoration. This woman has this encounter with Jesus' supernatural knowledge and supernatural love. And she runs back into her village and she says, Come and meet the man who told me everything I ever did. The disciples then come and they see Jesus talking with this strange, adulterous, Samaritan woman. And they have a discipleship moment with Jesus. Jesus says this in verse 34. He says, Do not say three months and then the harvest. He says, I say to you right now, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and see the fields are ripe and ready for harvesting. I think the the voice of the Holy Spirit deposited a word in my heart for Liberty Church this morning. And it says, lift up your eyes. Don't put a delay on the work of God. Don't say three months and then the harvest. Three months and then a breakthrough. I tell you right now, look with eyes of faith at what God is doing. Jesus, when he's giving this phrase to the disciples, lift up your eyes, it wasn't just a unique encouragement specific to this discipleship moment, but it was actually a phrase that was used in the Old Testament numerous times. The scriptures that Jesus' disciples were very familiar with, Jesus he, he adopts a phrase from the Old Testament and he begins to repeat it in the dis- discipleship moment. Well, I'm going to turn to or reference a few Old Testament passages where God uses this phrase, lift up your eyes. The first one is when he made a promise to Abraham, a man who moved out of his, his homeland and moved to a land that God would show him. In Genesis 13, verses 14 and 16, the Lord comes to Abraham And he says, lift up your eyes and see the land that I will give you. It was a promise of inheritance. I have this sense that the voice of God is drawing near to Liberty Church today. And he's saying, lift up your eyes, for there are great and glorious promises for inheritance and breakthrough and souls and ministry being extended, and families being transformed, and marriages being restored, and sons and daughters being one. Lift up your eyes and see. Secondly, this phrase, lift up your eyes, was used when God was speaking to Jacob through an angel in a dream. Some of you remember this story. Jacob was working for years for his, his, uh, for, uh, his wife's hand in marriage, and And Jacob was being cheated by a man. And the man made several deals with him and he said, you can have the livestock that are spotted, but the ones that are not spotted belong to me. And he was banking on the fact that that, that the livestock were were not going to be spotted. 
But in fact, God, by the angel of the Lord, comes to Jacob in a dream. And the angel says this to Jacob, Lift up your eyes and see, for I'm causing these goats to be spotted. And I'm causing your increase to come in this very moment. And when Jacob left that, that estate, he left more wealthy than the man whom he served. Even when the evil one came to steal, kill, and destroy, and diminish Jacob's wealth and livelihood, God's favor rested on him, and he caused him to be blessed. And so he said to Jacob through the angel, lift up your eyes. This should be encouraging to you because some of you are in difficult circumstances where you felt lied to or you felt cheated or you felt like your own personal value, your own personal worth has been diminished and you've been cut down. And yet for those of us who are in Christ, we can receive this message of the Spirit today that says, lift up your eyes. There's a promise from God, Romans 8.28, that, that we know this, that God works everything for the good of those who love Him, to those who've been called according to His purpose. So even when in the natural you're being cheated and lied to and diminished by men, God is working on your behalf and He's doing more than what you can see in the natural. And so the message of the Spirit is lift up your eyes. Say amen, someone. I think some of you, some of us this morning need simply to lift up our eyes and look for the work that God is doing in our midst, and even in the midst of our difficult circumstance. Number three, this phrase was used in the Old Testament. It goes from God to an angel to now the psalmist using it. Psalm 121. The psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? He says, my help comes from you, Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. See, this message has to go from the word of God to the prophetic word of the angel to now the word of the psalmist who says, as a devotional practice, I lift up my eyes and I say, God, I'm looking to you from where my help comes from. I think there's grace on your fellowship in this season from God for a, a, a continual devotional practice of church members on your own and collectively in the morning hours lifting up your eyes to the Lord. I look to you, God, from where my help comes from, the maker of the heaven and the earth. How many of you know when you're in the midst of challenging, difficult life circumstance, it actually takes a devotional, disciplined practice of lifting your eyes in the Spirit to think differently about your circumstances, to think from a place of victory. It actually takes the renewal of the mind. It takes our minds being rewired by the Spirit of God as we open His Word and letting His Word change and renew the way we think. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world around you, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and discern what is God's pleasing and perfect will. The power of the renewed mind. So this message of lift up your eyes goes from God to the angel to the psalmist and then forth 
It comes through the mighty voice of the prophet. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness covers the earth, and deep darkness the people's but my glory shall rise upon you, says the Lord. Then the, then the prophet says, And behold, lift up your eyes and see, for your sons come from afar, and your daughters are carried on the hip. And he's talking about the, the miracle power that occurs when God's glory rises on a people. It's so evident that even the next generation comes from afar to be swept into the kingdom of God. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the hip. One of the signs of revival, one of the signs of God's glory rising on a people is the heart of the next generation being drawn to Him. How many of you know the Republic of Ireland is due for a move of God? We are, it's high time that God moves in this land once again. In such a way that not even, not just the gray hairs or the middle aged or the young families, but even the youth, the sons and daughters are swept into the kingdom of heaven. I think God is saying to Liberty Church in this hour, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. God is always doing more than we can see in the natural. Therefore, we lift up our eyes to look for what He's doing by the Spirit. Little story. Um, a couple years ago, you all know, I moved, my family and I, we moved across the United States from the Seattle area, our beloved city, Tacoma, Washington. We moved two years ago now to Nashville, Tennessee, Franklin, Tennessee, more specifically. And in a season where... I was praying about, God, what do you want my family to do before I understand that we were going to move? I had a couple encounters with a couple prophetic people. How many of you are thankful for people that hear from God? Sometimes it's really easy for me to hear from God for others, and then it can be more challenging to hear from God for myself. While I was on a season of extended prayer and seeking the Lord, a couple dynamic things happened. Um, I was in Southern California with a ministry and, a, and a, a prophetic woman there encountered me who I never knew, I never met before. She was introduced to me and um, she was asked to pray for me. Of course, I was eager to receive. The simplicity of her message was this. She says, the young people that you've been investing in for years have all gotten older. She says, it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. She says, but you need to surround yourself with younger people. You're made for a youth movement. That's what she said. And she said, I see the Lord wanting to surround you with even younger leaders to reach the next generation. Something in me just began to awaken and say yes to what God was saying. Of course, here we are two years, no, three years from that moment. Fast forward, we've moved across country. And in the last six months, God has connected me as a bridge, what I would call bridge leader. You know, there's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm more of an Isaac now. And I'm working with these young Jacobs in Nashville, these young leaders. I'm talking about 20, 21, 22-year-old leaders 
whom God has greatly anointed. Some of these guys are the most gifted young men I've ever met in the whole world. And uh, the Lord has supernaturally connected us in this recent season with a shared vision to reach the next generation in our, in our greater region, in Middle Tennessee, the greater Nashville area. And in the course of time in recent months, this is a cool, cool story where we lifted up our eyes together. We caught wind, we, we heard of a trend that was happening in our city where these young students, high school students, started their own business and they were making, they were actually quite successful. Their business, however, were hosting raves where they, they were, had enough business sense, enough capital from their parents to go and rent a, a venue, rent sound equipment, hire a DJ, live music. There's always live music available in Nashville, you know. And they did advanced online sales and tickets at the door. The first rave, 400 students showed up. 400 high school kids showed up. They moved to a bigger venue. Hundreds more show up. It became a trend. But how many of you know, like, these aren't like holy raves? You know, like, this is some crazy stuff happens there and people find themselves in all kinds of brokenness and bondage. Nevertheless, it's a trend in our region. Well, one of the, two of the young men that I work with, that I've, I'm walking with and training on a level, is they found out the name of one of the young men who puts on the raves. And they realized that they have a friend who knows him. And so they got his address. And they decided to pray for him in advance. And they felt the call of God saying, will you go and love this young man? So they went and knocked on his door, showed up at his house unannounced, and they introduced themselves. These are just 20-year-old kids. They introduced themselves to this high school student. And they said, hey, we wanted to meet you. They sat down together, and they began to say, we believe God has given you incredible influence among your generation. They began to encourage him, but they said this, but we want to challenge you to use your influence for eternal good. This young man what isn't even a Christian. He's not a Jesus follower. They begin to share the gospel with him. They've met with him now for like eight weeks in a row. Now they're opening the scripture together. They're praying with him, prophesying over him. His heart is being transformed by God. As he's yielding to Jesus, there's a move of the Holy Spirit that's taking place in these young men's lives who are leading this rave. They're some of the most influential students in our entire region, in our state. What happened? They, the, our friends lifted up their eyes. They refused to believe the lie that the evil one was in control. That he was the evil one had the lion's share of influence among the next generation. In fact, instead, they chose to lift up their eyes and see the kingdom like a seed that can be planted in the soil of a heart that overnight it begins to sprout and growth comes. In the course of time, as they're meeting with this young man, they proposed an idea. They said, if you really want to use your influence for good, for eternal good, what if we change the direction of your rave? He said, what do you think? What do you have in mind? And they said, what if we partner together 
And the next grave that you have will we'll make it even bigger. But we, we need to take 20 minutes of stage time to preach the message of Jesus to the next generation. And the guy says yes. So we're in the process right now of preparing a Jesus rave. <laughs> so we have the voice of an evangelist who's come out of the background that these students represent and he's giving the gospel and other, other young people are inviting for the call of repentance and there's a whole follow-up plan and we're, tra- we're, gonna, we're preparing for a harvest. Here's what happened in recent weeks. Is there was a venue, a very important venue in downtown Nashville, which is a concert-saturated city. A venue that is actually owned by a famous Christian artist, one of the pioneers of Christian music, Michael W. Smith. And he caught wind. They caught wind of what we were doing. And so they called the meeting. And they proposed something. They said, well, here's an idea. What if you used our venue for free? I'm telling you, it's a state-of-the-art, large-scale venue in downtown Nashville. He says, we will help you promote this rave and we'll draw students from all over the city. He says, you can go to your partners and tell them this is your part of the deal, but they get the venue for free. And this is going to be a Jesus rave. And so now there's multi-ministries coming together that are coming around the influence of these young men who are turning their hearts to Jesus, who say, I want to use the influence God has given me to win hearts for the kingdom of heaven. And we're anticipating hundreds or even a couple thousand young people gathering for a rave and being encountered with the love, truth, and power of Jesus Christ. Come on, what happens when you lift up your eyes? When you refuse the temptation to look only with the natural eyes and always... How many of you know when you only look with the natural eyes at your city, your country, or the condition of the next generation, you are almost guaranteed to be discouraged. You're almost guaranteed to be discouraged by what kind of evil and bondage exists in our generation. If you only looked with natural eyes at what's taking place in the moral decline of a nation, the increased polarization of the political climate, the increased toxicity of social dialogue in our generation. If you only looked with natural eyes, you would be increasingly discouraged. And so there's a prophetic invitation from the Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, that says, lift up your eyes. And I feel like I've come to Liberty Church this morning to be an echo of what I think heaven is saying in our generation. Do not say three months and then the heart. Don't put a delay on the work of the Spirit, the work of breakthrough, the work of evangelism. But I tell you, Jesus, he says, lift up your eyes and see the fields are ripe. And ready for harvesting.
One of the things that happens when we open the word, I realize I still have time, right? Okay. I'm a guest. I can kind of do whatever I want, huh? (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) I think one of the things that happens when we open the, the word of God and we begin to let our minds be renewed by his truth as we all know, we begin to embrace aspects of our identity in Christ that change the way we think about ourselves and reality around us, that change the way we live. One of the identity truths that so marked me and transformed my life comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I can't remember what verse it is, but it's written in there. Verse 20, I think. It says this, for we are ambassadors of Christ. For we are Christ's ambassadors. What is an ambassador? It's the highest ranking diplomat of a nation in a foreign land. An ambassador receives authority and power from their head of state in their homeland to represent the interests of their home nation and their head of state in a foreign land. And I love what the scripture says about you and me, you and I. If you're in Christ today, you are the highest ranking diplomat of heaven on earth. Do me a favor. If you are in Christ today, just put your hand in the air. Keep your hand up as I say this. This morning, you are the highest ranking diplomat of heaven in Dublin. You represent the interests of God's kingdom for which there is no end. You represent a kingdom that cannot be shaken, will not end, and will not, will not be cut short. You represent a place where there is no sickness, there is no sin, there is no death, and there is no disease. You are the highest ranking diplomat of heaven on earth. You can put your hand down. I remember earlier this year, after our conference setting ended, you know, it was late at night, I was jet lagged, I have a bit of a headache, I was hungry, you know, and we were heading back to our hotel and Greg says, well, I think the only place that's open is McDonald's. I said, well, take us to McDonald's, you know. <laughs> Haven't been to McDonald's in years. We roll up to McDonald's and all of a sudden as we're walking in, there's a group of students High school students that, you know, it looks like they were 16, 17, 18, that age range, to my right. And I thought, oh, Lord, I don't want to be bothered today. I just want to go in, eat my Big Mac, drink my Sprite, wake up dehydrated. That's what I want, you know. And um, as I'm walking in, I had, a, I had a flashback in my mind of an, an event that happened, an encounter that happened in McDonald's. Five years earlier, I had a ministry team from our ministry that was doing a Freedom Equip in Tempe, Arizona, uh, in the greater Phoenix area, the southeast region of the United States. And we decided we, in between sessions of the conference, we wanted to do an outreach. And it was on a Friday, school was just letting out, so we decided to go and stand near a high school as it was letting out, you know. And we posted up at this McDonald's. And um, we're standing outside McDonald's and in the States. I don't know if this happens everywhere, but it seems like all the students that get let out of school, they go straight to the nearest fast food place or the nearest 
you know, uh, supermarket and they just buy up all the candy and all the unhealthy food. And, and here, next thing you know, there's like what seemed like dozens and dozens of students that are walking towards us. And as they were coming towards us, I'm praying, Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you want to do in the hearts of these students. Here we are as they come approaching. We, we start talking. The next thing you know, I realize I'm talking with a drug dealer, you know, and I'm talking with a young man who's, who's selling all his supplies to these students. And, and God, we begin to bow our heads. God begins to speak the word of the Lord to this young man. There's tears in his eyes as he's getting encountered by the love of God. He says, I need to take a break. I've got to go do a business deal. I'm like, a business deal? And he leaves our gospel, gospel encounter to go do a business deal. I said, but you better come back, and we're telling you the way of salvation. You need to get your buns back here. <laughs> and sure enough, 20 minutes later, he comes back. He says, what more did you want to tell me? And he sat, stood with us for another 30 minutes. But because we're talking to this drug dealer, this, this leader among these students, all these other students gathered around. And so we decided, let's put Jesus on display. And I said, so many of you here are created, all of you are here are created for God's glory. And he loves you so much that he wants to speak to you today about some of the ways he's made you for his glory. And we gave an invitation. Who wants to hear what God thinks of them? So a group of young ladies raised their hand. I invited them forward. We bowed our heads and prayed. Immediately these images come of all of these young ladies dancing together. He said, God's made every one of you to dance, but not for your own, not for your own glory, your own attention, but for the glory of God. And it pleases the heart of God He's, when you dance before him. All these girls freak out. They said, we're all on the dance team together. We just came from dance practice together. So one by one, these words of knowledge are coming as God is revealing some of what is in his heart for these young people. Next young lady rolls up, and we begin to pray for her. And say, the word of the Lord comes. and says, I see, a, I, see a, I see a brother, and he's 20 years old, and you've been praying and crying for him for two years, worried about his life. What's going on with this brother? She begins to weep. She says, I have a brother who's been in jail for the last two years. He's 20 years old. These clear words of knowledge began to come. Another young lady comes up. She's making fun of us. Oh, you think you're just going to call God up and he's going to tell you, what, what, talk to you about us. And we're like, well, kind of. <laughs> we bow our head. What does God reveal? God says, you're a fighter and you're a dreamer. God says that even in the last few weeks, you've been dreaming about fighting. You've been dreaming about violence and fight. And God wants you to know that he's made you to fight not your own battles, but to fight with him in his strength and in his power. She begins, you know, just explosively freaking out in this moment, you know. And all of her friends are making a scene. What I didn't know was that 10 minutes before, she was just inside the restaurant telling her friends, she said, I've been dreaming every day the last two weeks. And I'm, I'm literally fighting in every dream that I dream. She's asking her friends, what do you think this means? And she walks outside to the, to the prayer line. She gets prayer and God tells her not only her dream, but what the dream meant and gives her a new identity. She gave her life to Jesus right then and there. I mean, we had, we're outside McDonald's. We had prayer lines that were the length of conference prayer lines, you know. 
People are driving by McDonald's like, what's going on there? You know, like God begins to break through. What happens when we lift our eyes? We embrace our identity about what the word says about us. We are Christ's ambassadors. And all of a sudden, our schedules get interrupted with the invasion of heaven on earth. So earlier this year, when we walk into Dublin, I, I, and I walk into McDonald's, and I see these young people there, I have this flashback memory of that. I said, Lord, I don't want to be interrupted. I just want to eat my Big Mac. I want to have my fries. I want to drink my Sprite. I want to wake up dehydrated from all the sodium I just consumed. That's what I want to do tonight, Lord. So I went, and I sat on the opposite side of the restaurant. Greg, you remember that, right? I sat on the opposite side. I sat down, waiting for my Big Mac. Here's what happened next. A young man runs over to the other, from the other side of the restaurant, sits right down next to me. Here's what he says. He says, oh, you're a Christian. You're a Christian, right? I want you to pray for me now. <laughs> he was mocking me, but he sits down right next to me and says, you're a Christian. I want you to pray for me right now. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me, Lord. <laughs> One of the things that happens when you embrace your identity in Christ as an ambassador is your schedule becomes a target for divine interruptions. And if you have eyes to see, if you can lift up your eyes, if you can lift up your eyes, you will see interruption as perhaps an invitation from heaven to see a breakthrough. The next thing I know, we're surrounded by like a dozen teenagers. And it's loud, and they're making fun of us. And this young man keeps saying, pray for me. Lay your hands right here and pray for me, you know. <laughs> I wanted to lay him out, you know. <laughs> I want to see the Holy Ghost lay him out at McDonald's. But I said, okay, I'm not going to lay my hands on you, but I will pray for you. We're going to ask God what he says about you. We bow our heads. The team begins to listen. They begin to prophesy over this young man at McDonald's. His friends are making fun of him as we're prophesying, you know. It was, this, it was this weird and wild kind of gospel encounter. Um, it went back and forth, and the next thing you know, it's getting louder, and it's getting more distracting. I couldn't tell what was going on, so I'm like, Lord, help. Lord, help us arrest the hearts of these young people. They came to us. I didn't want, I didn't want to come to them. They came to us. Lord, give us a breakthrough. And all of a sudden, an idea popped into my mind. Now I know it's from God. Here's what I said. I said, my dad left when I was three years old. I I said that one sentence, and immediately it got quiet. The young man had just finished telling us, he says, I believe in Jesus, he says, but I don't want to surrender to him. He says, I believe for him in my mind. He says, but my plan is this, I want to get successful, and after the time I get successful as an adult then I'm going to give him control. I'm going to surrender to him. He says, I I still love one sin. And I'm going to keep that, this is what he said, I'm going to keep that sin until I get successful. Then I'm going to give Jesus that sin. Here's what I told him. You're a fool. Sometimes in the grace of God, you can speak the plain truth and people still know you love them. I said, you're a fool if you think that you can sin and it won't destroy you. That's when I said, my dad left when I was three years old. It got completely quiet around the, the table. I said, as a result of my dad leaving, I experienced physical and sexual abuse and, and even poverty. And I grew up with those realities. My dad left. He chose sin and selfishness. 
He forsook his responsibility as a dad, and I suffered as a result. I said, you're a fool if you think sin won't destroy you and those around you. Because it destroyed me and my family. In the next moment, a young lady across the table says this, my dad left too. A young man next to her said, my dad left too. A young lady across from them said, my dad left too. Now we had the attention of a fatherless generation. God knows how to open the hearts of his sons and daughters. We need only lift up our eyes and see. If we only look with natural eyes, we will be discouraged. We will misinterpret what's happening around us. Like in that moment, I, w- I could have easily said, this, this moment is going nowhere. There's no fruit that's happening right now. But I, we lifted up our eyes, and heaven said, say this. And it became the key that unlocked the heart of the attention of a fatherless generation. I want to tell you, Liberty Church, hear the word of the Lord to you today. Lift up your eyes. Don't let it be just a Sunday morning word, but let it be a word that drives you into devotional practice like the psalmist who said, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heaven and the earth. Let the scripture minister to you as you read it and as you listen to it. Let the spirit renew the way you think. Let your heart be fixed on the goodness of God. And may you refuse the temptation to misinterpret your circumstances by simply only looking at them through natural eyes. Refuse to be worldly in your vision, but be spiritual in your vision. Refuse to be carnal or worldly in your vision. Refuse the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve and know and discern what is God's pleasing and perfect will. You cannot discern what God is doing without your mind being renewed by the living word. When you let the scripture renew the way you think on a daily basis, your mind becomes a target for prophetic revelation. As you familiarize yourself with what God has said in his word, you become a target for interpreting properly what God is saying to you today by the spirit. And in this way, you are a word and spirit people. Come on, amen.